What's up, everyone? It is January 8th, 2019, the first show of the new year. Remember, we are the Olin Gear Round Washington Football Podcast. Every single Tuesday, expect a new episode as we dive deeper into the offseason. Expect exclusive guests that are highly involved in the Washington football scene. But today, we're going to be talking about who had a better year, Washington or Washington State, we're also going to get to the Eastern Washington's disappointing, but what felt like an almost inevitable loss in the national championship. I am Micah Chen, and joining me as always is Luke Monger of Dogman and Jackson Garner of Kook Fan. So Washington State 11-2 and in an Alamo Bowl victory, while Utah finishes 10-4 and in a Rose Bowl loss. And this has been one of the hottest topics on social media these past few weeks. Who had the better season? What defines a good season? Here's how I judge a successful season. Forget the records. Forget the stats. Look at the vibes. Who do you get better vibes from? On the Washington State side, I sense major disappointment, bitter feelings about the Apple Cup, their bowl game selection, lack of fans making the trip, a lack of respect on the national scene for their quarterback. Now on the UW side, I felt that while they were upset at the beginning of the year, there was also a sense of enjoyment and appreciation of playing in a Rose Bowl, you know, seeing Miles Gaskin play in his final game. And then you combine that with WSU's relatively weaker non-conference schedule against teams like Eastern and San Jose State. I mean, that 11-2 record easily could have been like a 10-3 and or something kind of closer to what UW had. So overall, I get good vibes from UW. I get the optimism. I'm going to say UW had the better season. But Jackson, I want to give you the floor. Who do you think had the better season? Well, first of all, I think that moping monologue was slanderous. But <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't know how you could get bad vibes from Like, yes, the Apple Cup was devastating. But bad vibes, really? Like, we still went still went 11-2. and two, still I'm not had just a- talking about the bowl game and, and, and winning that talking about the, the yeah. last few weeks of the season no, it was I get a lot that. of anger a lot of frustration that, that and, made and it seem like a not as good of a season I think I think I understand where you're coming from but I look at this a number of different ways I think and you're right it really depends on what your definition of a good season is I think of it in two ways first way what was the expectation at the beginning of the season if the ex- if we're looking at what the expectation was at the beginning of the season and the final outcome it's far and away WCU had the better season. Now, if you're just looking at the end result, doesn't matter what the expectations were going into the season, who reached higher heights, I think that was UW. I, I think making a New Year's Six Bowl, regardless of win or loss, that's that get that equivalates to having a better season. Um, and they won the games that they needed to win. You know, obviously Auburn was devastating, but to to come in for your first. Uh, first Pac-12 game and go beat Utah like that was huge going up playing playing WSU in Pullman winning the Apple Cup that was huge and it was they just won the games that they needed to win and I'm not saying that WSU didn't win a lot of games but you know they knew for a long time that the Apple Cup was the one they needed to win they didn't win it and you know that plays a role into where they where they landed at the end of the season and it wasn't as high as UW so I just think it really depends on what your definition of a good season is. I th- but regardless of how you look at it, there's a lot of merit in what the expectation was for WSU and where they landed 
And I mean, you can't deny that that was an incredible step. The, the problem is that the expectations shifted throughout the season where at the beginning you weren't expecting him to do anything and then towards the end you, was, you were thinking college football playoffs. So this team did not live up to expectations as you go deeper into the season and those changed. Um, whatever happened in the preseason, like I said, that's why I said UW was unhappy at the beginning of the season. doesn't matter now. The vibes from the program right now say that UW is a much happier program right now. They might not like Jake Browning right now, but at least at least they're thinking, hey, look how far we went. We beat we beat WSU in the Apple Cup. We can confidently say that this UW season was better than our, than our rival, and it's going to be better going forward as well. Luke, where do you stand on that? Yeah, I think I agree in essence, with both of you, first with with Jackson in the idea that if you if you're looking at just who got to higher heights, I think it's impossible to argue that playing in the Rose Bowl and making a New Year's Six Bowl is lower than winning an Alamo Bowl in terms of yeah just accomplishments for a season. Like obviously, winning a bowl game is great, and going eleven and two is awesome. But I think that the Huskies were on the national stage at the end of the year, and in that sense, they had a better season. Uh, but kind of talking about expectations, I think if you followed UW's season closely as well, their expectations changed a lot, kind of for the worse, for the majority of the first nine or ten games of the year, going from possibly being a playoff or bust team. Like, th- th- that, that kind of question was tossed around at the beginning of the year. They lose their opening game to Auburn. They lose on the road to Oregon. They lose on the road to Cal, and they're six and three, not in the driver's seat for the Pac-12 title. And looking at their most, or potentially their most disappointing season under Coach Peterson, they ended up pulling something together. And I think that although Husky fans are appreciative of being back in the Rose Bowl for the first time in 18 years, I think there is kind of a feeling of disappointment that like, I don't know, what is it now, five years later under Coach Peterson, they still haven't won a New Year's Six Bowl game, and they still haven't gotten over what they consider to be that hump to competing with Ohio State and Penn State and Alabama and teams like that that have been able to best Washington on sort of the national stage come bowl season. So final verdict, I mean, we'll start with you, Jackson. Who had the better season, Washington State or UW? And then kind of give a summary, kind of a recap of why why you believe that. This is tough, and for just the reasons why I explained it, because it really depends on how you look at it. But I think I'm I'm just going to say, in terms of where you ended the season at, I do think that UW had the better season because you won the Apple Cup. You know, you had... I mean, obviously, both teams faced a ton of adversity this season, but I think the the adversity of having such high expectations you know faltering early in the season with a with a big loss and then kind of rewriting that's re, uh writing the ship and then finishing with an uh, a rose bowl i mean that's that's tough to to argue against i i and don't get me wrong i mean 11 wins the most wins in uh in school history for a single season uh a alamo bowl one of the most viewed Alamo Bowls or one of the most viewed bowls that wasn't a New Year's Six Bowl. I mean, it was a hell of a season for the Cougars. It's just, you know, it's taking that last step and then you're and then you're there. I'm so I'm with Yeah, I'm going UW. Yeah, so, uh, and I'll go uh with uh UW as well. 
uh, just you know, just the bitter feelings, uh, that that sense of darkness on Washington State, uh, the, like just the lack of respect they got for their quarterback. Um, I think all that combined makes this uh, makes this a, a, a not as happy end to the season as if you were just looking at the Alamo Bowl victory. So I'm gonna say yeah, UW uh, playing uh, on the like in that kind of spotlight was the was what put them over the uh, over the hump and making them the best team, making them the most successful season in Washington this year. What about you, Luke? Yeah, I have to agree with both of you guys uh, for sort of the reasons that you explained. I just think at the end of the day fighting through adversity and getting to the Rose Bowl, winning um, a second Pac-12 title in three years, uh, kind of regardless of the path you take uh, to get there. That's an exciting season, uh, and I don't think you can really argue. Like, 11 wins, like you said, is amazing. Most wins in a single season in Washington State football history. Uh, However, I, I just don't think it's possible to argue that an Alamo Bowl win is on the same level as a Rose Bowl appearance. Uh, however, it is interesting to note that as of this morning, in the AP poll, the Cougs yes. are 10th <laughs> and the Huskies to- yeah. are 14th. And, and yeah. this is why I, I threw stats out the window, uh, records out the window. Exactly. I just wanted to say, like, wh- how do you feel? How, what's your emotion, yes. emotional level at right now? Exactly. I mean, I think, I think, I don't, like, in kind of like Jackson's saying, I think kind of how you spin the question, you, you can make an argument either way. Like, I think people on the West side will be happy finishing 14th. And knowing that they won the Apple Cup by two scores in their place and played in the Rose Bowl, while Kook fans will be happy that they went 11 and 2, most wins in, con- er, in their school history, and are uh, four spots ahead of the Huskies in the AP poll to end the season. And we'll get to hold on to that for eight months. Yeah. But, and, you know, I don't understand that. I don't, for me personally, I don't get that. Like, an AP position means nothing to you personally. <laughs> It means everything to Mike Leach because he gets $100,000. But, Gosh. like, I don't understand what satisfaction anyone gets in being four spots higher than your rival. T- I, you know, Because a couple of writers put them a little bit higher yeah, in Indianapolis. Like, <laughs> quite frankly, I don't, get, I don't care what the AP writers think. Like, I care yeah, what happens a, on the field. This isn't a computer calculating. This is just some crappy person's Yeah, opinion. I mean, you know... It's nice, it's it's fun for a headline, but it, it, it doesn't give you anything. It, the same disappointments that were there from week week fourteen or week what was that week yeah week fourteen are still are still around. They still linger. So I don't know. I mean, I I get it. I understand that it's it's cool to be in the top ten, but it just it understand that it's not going to carry over in the next season. The momentum might. As a f- well, I mean, I'm just saying, as a fan, it gives me no satisfaction. That ten's probably gonna be more like a twenty-three uh, when the next season starts. So, yeah. uh, it, it's 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 very much a, a, a kind of a paper award at this point. But this time of year, a lot of uh, NFL players, uh, a lot of you know college prospects, announced that they're going to be NFL players. And WSU's feature running back James Williams announced on Saturday that he'll be foregoing his senior year and will start training in California for the NFL. There's plenty of football reasons to make this move. The highlight being, yeah, running backs, they don't play very long. They need to get their money while they can. But man, I mean, James Williams has a family. He has a child on the way this summer. That yeah. changes everything. It's time to make money while you can. That has to be yeah. the biggest reason why he made this decision. Well, yeah, no, I think so. And I also think it's it's the same deal where what we talked about with Miles Gaskin last year. It's like, what more do you have to prove? 
Do you really think that you're going to get that much better with, you know, 190 touches in a season? Like, it's not, you're not getting better. You're going to, like, you are entering the prime of your career. Now go and, and where you can get better is in the next level with, the, with playing in an NFL offense and understanding that kind of, that kind of air raid and, and being of service to the more NFL style of air raid. So go and go make your money. What I think is is more particularly interesting than the decision, because I kind of expected that decision to happen. I mean, with his situation, married, kid on the way, um, it was kind. Of, the writing was kind of on the wall that he was going to go to the NFL. I I'm interested to know like how much is Max Borgie going to be used next year? That's kind of the question that I have. And I think this is pretty interesting. I was looking up some numbers last night. And last year, James Williams was the most used running back in Mike Leach's tenure at WSU all time. From 2012 to 2018, James Williams last year took 119 carries. And this is this is just running the ball. 119 carries, which is the most by about, I think it was like a solid 15 carries. But he also took 45% of the total carries of this of the of the teams yeah of the team's total carries so he owned not only the total number of touches but a percentage of use as well yes so both and the it percentage, didn't feel like that at all <laughs> well yeah i know right and he took about i think it was almost nine percent more than the next the next guy in terms of in terms of the splits well, it's probably because the third string running back Keith Harrington. You know, usually they go in with a three headed attack. Yeah. Keith Harrington had like three catches, twelve carries. I mean, it really was just him and Max Borgie. Well, and that's because true. Borgie scored so many touchdowns, it, you probably could have skewed that perception that Williams was taking all the touches. But you also have to consider, like, so I'm what I'm trying to what I'm trying to point out here is, like, if last season where James Williams took. 45% of the workload, 119 carries, the most ever. Next season, where Borgie is essentially assuming Williams' role, do you think that moves up, or do you think that stays right the same? I think it goes up. I mean, really? if, you, if you look at the depth chart for... I mean, Keith Harrington's going to be gone next year. They have no experience coming back. Right now. Who would be that second option now Like that would play the quote-unquote Max Borgie role? Well, that's... I mean, that that's a great question. I think, you know, Jameer Thomas and... Uh, Juvonsley Bazile, the two newcomers. I think those are some names that people are tossing around, but I don't trust they don't, them. <laughs> they don't. They don't arrive until fall. Like, yeah, you know, Borgie. Borgie arrived in the spring last year, and you could see right away when he got there. It's like, yeah, no, he's ready. He's ready to play. Mm-hmm. It's it's entirely remains to be seen. We don't know what his. We don't know what his ceiling is yet. I mean, if you, for example, if you compared him to young UW running backs like Sean McGrew and Kamari Pleasant, I think that Sean McGrew, we've kind of reached his potential. He is what he is now. Um, but I would with Max Borgie, uh, he he is still skyrocketing right now, and I could see him being like this. I, there's a reason why he chose to come to WSU because I think he envisioned a role similar to what he's got coming up this season. I mean, the durability is there, the work yeah. ethic. He's a guy that you want in the starting running back role. He checks all the boxes. I don't see why you don't give him the same workload as Williams or even more next year. Yeah, and I think no, I think it's going to be similar to this year, but I I don't think he's going to be the three would you, down. Back. Would you rather have think, him as a rotation? Like what in the backup kind of role? Or sorry, go ahead, go no. ahead, Luke. Yeah, no, yes. I, I was just gonna chip and say, I think 
like if, if you just really look at how successful the Cougs were this year, I think you have to put a lot of that success on the tandem of James Williams and Max Borgie. I, I think that like the fact that Gardner Minshew, if something wasn't open across the middle or downfield, that he could just turn and flip it to James Williams or Max Borgie, and they could make a, a pass behind the line of scrimmage into like an eight-yard reception yeah. practically every single time. Um, I think that production from that position is essential in the air raid offense. And for that reason, I don't think they'll just make a committee for the sake of making a committee. Uh, so I think especially early on, I think Max Borgie could have like a 50% plus usage. Yeah. It could change as the season goes on. But I, I don't think that they'll just force Jameer Thomas or however you say it, Javonsley Bazile yeah. into that role just to force him into that role. Yeah. No, and I, I I understand what you're saying there, and I feel that same way too. Where it's like you look at the situation and you're like, okay, clearly Max Borg, they're gonna run Max Borgie, Max Borgie, and more Max Borgie. But then you look at the numbers and you're like, okay, that's never happened. He, even when James Williams was a freshman, and, and clearly Mike Leach held James Williams in pretty high regard, they didn't let him run wild. They haven't let anyone run wild. Am I now supposed to believe that that this one running back will change all of that? Yeah, there's a system it's, in place. I mean, there's they a, want, there's, they yeah, want to carry it a, over. They want. They'd rather. If, these are the guys that we recruited. This is the role we expect them to be in. And just because they don't have a lot of experience doesn't mean we're going to stray away from the strategy that has made it successful over the years, yeah. which is featuring at least two running backs. Yeah, yeah, and that's what that's what I feel like. I don't think one running back will change it, it, it's, Mike Leach's it's a, system. It's a very high mentally... Ch- like There's a lot of physical and mental pain that comes with being a running back in Mike Leach's offense. I mean, just the sheer responsibility, whether it's pass blocking, uh, whether it's running ridiculous route tree. I mean, this is not a position where you want to burn somebody out early in the season. If you're playing a San Jose State, do you really want Max Borgie to be taking 60% of the workload? You, you would like for other running backs to get experience in those situations and then save Max Borgie uh, for later games in a season where he can kind of get close to that percentage use. Yeah. You know, I I, I think... You can't you afford know. to lose Max Borgie next year. You need quality no. backups. I mean, we're, t- we're talking longevity. You're not going to have... And we say this... We're, I feel like we're going to say this every year now, but you don't know where you're going to get from the quarterback position at Washington State going forward, and you're going to need... Uh, the running game is going to be just as highly prominent as anybody that plays quarterback. Yeah, and I, I think it's really everyone wants to see him take, you know, like 15, 20 carries, and he'll probably get that in touches. But, you know, I feel like people want to see him run on the ground, and I just don't think that even, you know, I suppose we'll see what happens with the quarterback position, um, although I do think it'll be in-house, but that's uh, another argument for another time. Um, but I think... You know, it's it's going to be very similar to to years past, where it's like, you know, Borg is going to be the lead guy, but there's still going to be people behind him that are getting carries, and it's not just going to be Borgie, Borgie, Borgie. You know, although our prediction that Max Borgie could be that next, uh, you know, you know, player that represents WSU in the national spotlight is starting to become a little bit more of a reality with James Williams announcing that he's going mm-hmm. to the NFL this past Saturday, North Dakota State beat Eastern Washington to win the FCS national title. Um, the game was relegated to ESPN2 with a freaking 9 a.m. start time. They were just trying to get it out of the way, it felt like. But now North, North Dakota State has won seven 
of the last eight national titles. Uh, their only their only other loss uh, was in 2016 um, in the semifinals to James Madison. But man, if Eastern Washington had won a national title, I mean that has long term implications. Like I understand that it was played on a freaking like 9 a.m. Saturday morning, and it didn't seem that important. But you talk about the 2010 national champions, and people remember that team. People remember when you're freaking national champions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I I couldn't agree more. And I remember, gosh, I can't even remember where I was, but I, I was talking to somebody, and uh, they were talking about Eastern Washington playing tomorrow in, like this was obviously a few days ago, but they were like, oh, are you going to watch Eastern Washington play? in the uh, FCS national title tomorrow. And I was like, wow, like the other, like the world is noticing the, the Western, even like, yeah, like Western Washington, Eastern Washington, the Northwest has taken notice of this Eastern Washington team. Are, and are you basing that off? Cause one guy in your house said that. Well, no, it wasn't even a guy in my house. It was like one of my dad's friends or something oh, like that. Goodness. Which is like random enough for me to be like, wow, like if this guy is about to watch Eastern Washington play, yeah, then Every like or like, not everybody, but it's like a significantly like th- their market share is growing. Yeah, I want to know what was being aired on ESPN at nine a.m. That oh. was more important than the national championship game, the F or FCS national championship well, first game. Take. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I can't even. <laughs> Gosh, I, you know I didn't check, but it's probably some type of college basketball game. Oh no, it was probably some silly pregame show for the uh, semifinals because uh, later on that I wasn't it this. No, it wasn't well, this was past five Saturday. P- that, that the, was, no, 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 because it was, was this past Saturday the uh, National Football Semifinals? The, no, no, it wasn't. There yeah, was no college football. It, it wasn't first take. It wasn't first take because it was, it was on a weekend. First take is Monday through Friday. Yeah, I know, yeah. Probably, I don't know. Probably nothing. They probably nothing, to, nothing important. Well, you know, and this is like, this happens a lot with the ESPN programming, like being relegated to ESPN 2. Like, it's not... It's still ESPN. It's still on cable. Yeah, it's, it's, it's only it's only channel. one channel. Yeah, it's the next channel. Like, but still, a, it's the a, status. It's the I, status. Yeah, well, I just feel like ESPN is like covering their brand when they don't allow the FCS championship on their flagship station. You know what I mean? Just they're, to like they're, say oh, you're. It's important, but not important yeah, enough like, to be. Like, oh, like yeah, let's get the broadcast rights to this, but like it can't go on ESPN. Yeah, you know ESPN. They're not in the movement business. They their goal is to make as much money as possible. This is this is another argument uh, came up a couple weeks ago when the national volleyball championship was played on ESPN too. Oh yeah, and there was yeah, some yeah. really cruddy bowl game being played on the main ESPN channel. But you know that's just the formula they have. If this is something that they believe can draw maximum viewership, they're they're not going to put something in the spotlight just to give it a spotlight. They don't know anybody's shit. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. they, ESPN doesn't need to promote your brand, your image, your likeness. It's all about what what they believe is going to maximize their uh, ratings and and uh, and a- advertising revenue. And uh, Eastern Washington and North Dakota State. Yeah. Uh, North Dakota State was is uh, was invested in it. I mean, you, you watched that game, and I mean, it was mainly North Dakota State crowd there. But it, it was also cool. I mean, North Dakota State they they recruit the entire country. I mean, there's there's I mean that's the school that produced Carson Wentz. But Eastern Washington, um, they it's 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 a lot of homegrown talent outside of their quarterback, running back, receiver. I know Sam McPherson got a lot of playing time this year, and. You know, fifteen hundred plus yards. That's a top five running performance well, in program. They're history. also dipping into California quite a bit. Well, that's my point. Like, I, I've said this multiple times on the show. Like, I know they have like 
60% to 80% of the roster is consistently from Washington, but it's never the quarterback or the go-to running back or the top receivers. I, I mean, you're talking like the, the, the linebacker core or a couple offensive linemen are from, are from the state of Washington, but all like the flashy skill players are from Sacramento I mean, and that's the same with Central Washington University as well. I mean, I mean, our, our, the running backs are all from uh, California, and some of the receivers. But uh, it's still a, it's still a, a, a something to be proud of, knowing that this many Washington players got to play in in a national championship. And FCS is kind of no man's land because it's D one football, but it's not quite the same as the FBS level. I mean, it, it, there's a huge talent difference, so I, I can I can understand why people aren't. I mean, when people say, like, I'm interested, they're, they're interested because they're curious, but they're not going to stick around for the long term. These guys aren't going to be there yeah. uh, when Eastern's playing UC Davis. Uh, or Well, they, you know what? They might be there for their home. For they, they might be there for their uh, opening game of the season if you catch my drift, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know what I thought was, was like, funny? I, I'm sure you guys saw this on Twitter. Like It was, like, the Barstool accounts were tweeting, like, it was like things that, or like the WSU went tweet, like things you dub didn't accomplish this year, and like that WSU did, and then of course you dub responded, and then so I don't think it wasn't like an Eastern bar stool or anything, but some guy, some guy like responded to that, and it's like things that Eastern accomplished, but WSU and you dub didn't accomplish, and it's just like okay, like no one here is saying that what Eastern didn't accomplish was or what they accomplished what was bad or anything like that. They did awesome this season. We're all rooting for them. Yeah. But please, please do not bring in what Eastern accomplished. Like it's just completely different ball yeah. game, Cons- especially considering when WSU pretty much cleaned the floor against them. Like I just I don't want to hear. But uh some Washington State fan responds like, "Hey, like like I personally hope Eastern Washington crushes North Dakota State because then by beating Eastern Washington week one or week two or whatever it was. Yeah. Claim an FCS title like the Huskies claimed a title in 1991. Some guy was like, well, first of all, that's how national championships were handled back then. And if you want an FCS title, like by by all means, be my guest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Was pretty funny. Yeah. yeah, if WSU was competing in the FCS, there's a good chance they would be national ti- uh, national champions right now. But we don't reward things that are easy, so that's why none of this ma- <laughs> that's why none of this matters. Ooh. Um, shots th- fired. Well, I don't think I don't think I don't think Sam, friend of the podcast, would be too happy with that. <laughs> I think he's talking t- about awarding. Yeah, <laughs> awarding. Like a Pac-12 program and FCS championship. That's the yeah. equi- that's the equivalent of like a 4A school saying that oh we beat a 2A school because you know we had this rare non-conference matchup and they ended up winning state. So technically we would have won the 2A state championships. Yeah. Like, like you, okay. your school's like twice the size yeah. of everybody else, and you <laughs> yeah. have twice the resources. Uh, I know we abandoned this early in the season, but I wanted to bring it back. It's Washington fantasy football. In the preseason, we did a fantasy football draft involving UW, WSU, Eastern Washington, and CW players. Now, here are the results from that league. Luke's- I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're going to be pretty happy, Luke. So your team had Jake Browning, James Williams, Christian Cummings, uh, who is the Central Washington, uh, one of the Central Washington running backs? Not really, but he was yeah, he was that, a guy on the that roster. Was a, a big loss for me. So Aaron Fuller, Renard Bell, Chico McClatcher. That was that was the biggest bust pick of the draft right there. Yeah. Did you know that guy didn't even have double digit catches? He had nine. 
I mean, I'm surprised I, to hear yeah, that he had surprised. nine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, you got. I mean, you gotta. You gotta make those catches by accident if you're only getting nine. We got CW defense: Hassani Childs, Keith Harrington. Terrence Grady and Justice Warren, a defensive player. I don't remember why you picked that. I think it was like oh, the yeah. last well, pick of the I, draft. I picked him because he he's going to play fullback. He was going to play fullback at fullback in his one snap at fullback last year. So I was like, maybe if he takes ten snaps at fullback this year, that's ten touchdowns. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so look, that's full full foolproof <laughs> yeah. logic right there. <laughs> but yeah, at the end of the the Washington college football draft, I think it's a fine flyer pick. Well, here are the results from your draft. So your quarterback scored 208.4 points. Mm-hmm. Your running back scored 326.2 points. Uh, your wide James receivers. James Williams was the best player fan, in yeah, was a football by pick. far, right? Yeah, that easily. Was a great pick. I mean, he was literally the only running back to give you any production. I can't believe, I cannot believe I turned my back on him. <laughs> God. Hey, don't be that, too still, disappointed. You're, you're, yeah, you're I know, the I know, well. but still, I'm just frustrated. Uh, your running backs with guys like Aaron Fuller and Renard Bell. And Chico McClatcher did 271.6 points. And your defense did a quality 100-point Central Washington defense. And it was highlighted by 11, 11 block kicks. <laughs> oh, man. I, I just It's unfathomable. They, there was like three straight weeks where they took a block to kick for Yeah, <laughs> yeah and then another six straight weeks right after that. I mean, yeah. every, every single game. Cannot every, be stopped. <laughs> yeah, there were games where they blocked two kicks. So that astounding total is 906.2. Now, Luke, do you think that was good enough to win the league? No. Yeah, that was good enough for third. Yeah, that's what I thought. (laughs) So then it gets really close. So Jackson's team had Garner Minshew, Miles Gaskin, Savon Ahmed, Tay Martin, Desmond Patman, Kyle Sweets. It was the UW defense, right? Yeah, it was the UW defense. Zach Eagle, Kamari Pleasant, Esau Winston, and Jameer Calvin. So your quarterback did 360.9 points. A huge difference... Uh, between Luke's quarterback, they did 208.4. Um, your running backs did 390 points. So guys like Gaskin, Ahmed. Uh, you only had three running backs. Yeah, you had Kamari Pleasant, so you had all the UW running backs. But uh, combined for the season, they did 390. And this is where you really made your money because you had so many of those WSU receivers. 592.2 points. So Oof. that Garner Minshew to those WSU receivers were a major, I knew a that major would pay W. Dividends. But unfortunately, uh, the UW defense, um, and this is due to a very low sack total, did only 70 points. And so turnovers. your UW defense. And by the way, with what I, yeah, the, the, well, yeah, the, tur- the turnovers weren't great either, but I didn't factor in uh, points allowed because, I mean, I just didn't have the, the, the resources to make that possible. So I just did like sacks, interceptions, fumbles recovered. Yeah. Do, uh, I get, do I get points for my, for my pick six in the Pac 12 championship? You do. Game? You do. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I factored right. that all in, but you got 70 total. <laughs> okay. So that total is 1,000. Four hundred one, uh, what one thousand four hundred thirteen? So, uh, All right. your team did over five hundred points better than Luke. <laughs> uh, but here comes the winning team, which is my team. Uh, Gage Grubrud, uh, Eric Barrier at quarterback. Because remember, we agree that if quarterbacks, if somebody yeah. gets hurt, um, that we are going to uh, combine them. Uh, towards the end of the season, and Antoine Custer Jr., who barely played, but he was one of my running backs along with Sam McPherson, Simba Webster, Christian Stafford, Max Borgie, Eastern Washington's defense, Ty Jones, JoJo Hillel, Marky Spiker, and Dylan Suggs. So actually, if you can believe it, between Guru and Barrier and Sam McPherson, uh, my quarterback did 423.7 points, which is the most of any uh, team team in our league, and and I mean the big reason for that was the production on the ground, scoring double digit touchdowns on the ground, goob rooting barrier. Yeah. 
I did not factor Sam McPherson's running yards into my quarterback debate, but I did factor in his uh, his halfback pass touchdowns. So okay, uh, that would, and that, yeah, so I, I included all passing attempts. And then uh, at the running back position, uh, Miles Ga- sorry, uh, Sam McPherson. Allen had uh, Allen had two running backs that really played Sam McPherson, Antoine Custer Jr. Um, that was and yeah, so that was the only two running backs they had, but they had 527.2 points. Uh, thank you, Sam McPherson, for that. And uh, my wide receivers had 382. That includes Simba Webster. He got basically all my points. All my points came from Borgie? Eastern's offense. Oh, yeah, sorry. You're right. Yeah, Max Borgie. I, I forgot to mention him. So, yeah. yeah. The running backs between McPherson, Max Borgie, and Antoine Custer Jr., 527.2. That, that is the second most of any position group. Like I said, Jackson, your receivers did 592.2. And then my wide receivers, 382, defense 93, total 1,425.9. So wow. it was, How many did you uh, beat me by? 12. Oh, Whoa. yes, sir. Man. And keep in mind, I mean, Jojo Hillel didn't play. Dylan Suggs didn't play. Marquis Spiker didn't play. Like, I don't, and, and honestly, all our rosters had players that did not contribute. Well, that um, was my superior talent evaluation. Well, that no, that was you picking all the WSU wide receivers and me just allowing everybody to start because I didn't want to, like, factor in, like, oh, this player was on your bench. I just said, okay, we're just going to count how many points your team scored. Yeah. Your team literally had no – I mean, even Zach Eagles giving you production off the bench, giving you touchdowns. So that You're was the results of Washington fantasy football. And uh, I got to say, that was a success. We're going to do it again next year. We're going to yep. do the draft part, and then uh, we'll kind of keep tallies on it I throughout the season. I think we can come back to it a little, a little you know. We can check in. Bi- we can check maybe in. Maybe it's every other week. But, yeah, yeah. I think we got to check in a little bit more because I feel like we were a little out of touch with that. You know, I would have cared a little bit more if we would have touched on that, you know, every now and again. But Definitely. There's always next season, isn't there? Yeah, we're uh, we're going to be doing a draft for sure, and to, to explain the players coming up, we do that every single August. Actually, I thought we, I think we did that in July, but the point was is to prepare uh, prepare uh, fans to get to know more about the players. Uh, but a couple of players that will not be joining us next year is Byron Murphy and Taylor Rapp. And here's my problem with uh, the Taylor Rapp criticism. So I mean, you're hearing people say, I mean, this just goes back to like. The UW trolls are just getting out of control at this point in uh, in our in our lives. I mean, they're saying that Taylor Rapp uh, was selfish, that he he sat out the game because he only cared about his future. Which, by the way, if that's true, congratulations. Uh, nobody is judging you for trying to make your money at the next level. Yeah. Uh, but uh, how do you feel about Taylor Rapp not playing, even though he was suited up and, according to UW fans, he was healthy? Yeah. So <laughs> first of all, yeah, the fact of the matter is, I guess nobody actually knows how healthy or unhealthy he was. I had heard prior to the game from a source that he would be declaring for the draft after the game, which didn't surprise me. Well, he did it the next day. Yeah, exactly. So that was not surprising to me. Seeing him not play was a little surprising. I had heard that he had been banged up a lot this year. Um, And so I I was, of course you don't fault him for, for going his senior year and going to get his money while he's still healthy. Um, whether or not he sat out the game with the like while he was healthy enough, I'm not sure. What I am thankful for as a Husky fan is that Taylor Rapp didn't come out before the game and say, I'm not going to play and I'm going to declare for the draft. Even if it might have been smoke and mirrors of him warming up just yeah. to make it appear that he... Because here's, yeah. the, here's the thing. It going Leading up into the, the Rose Bowl, he wasn't practicing. I believe Brandon McKinney was running at the, at yes. the strong safety spot. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there was there was a lot of... Uh, sorry, the free safety spot. There was a lot of reason to believe that this guy wasn't healthy, and that's just, that just, that's just the reality. And the fact that he was giving any effort to participate in the game yeah. is strictly him just having a lot of heart. 
yeah, and I'm glad, and just for the reason to not go out and announce that he's not playing and take some sort of attention away from the team or, or be a sort of distraction or anything. Uh, just because I, I remember watching the Rose Bowl and being just mind blown that the Ohio State fan section or, or student section and fans and uh, sideline was so welcoming of Nick Bosa, who, after hurting his ankle this year, I think it was his ankle, he would have been able, it sounds like, from my understanding, to return midseason, but he decided to forego the rest of that season to prepare for the draft, didn't play in the Rose Bowl, and they're like showing him on the sideline, and he's saying Buckeye forever, and I was like, it just feels distraction-y to me, you know what I mean? And it doesn't feel authentic. For Taylor Rapp, whether or not he made a decision not to play, um, the fact that he didn't announce it and take some sort of attention away from the team and, and do whatever he could to make sure that all eyes were on the Huskies for that entire bowl preparation and then the game itself, I thought was classy. Um, and until someone comes out and says he was 100% healthy and chose not That's to never going to happen. Yeah. So I just well, don't yeah. think there's any reason to really give him too much of a hard time about it. Well, Taylor Rapp isn't on the same star power level as like when Christian McCaffrey announced he wasn't going to participate in the the uh, the start of bowl game. Uh, Nick Boza, like he's not anywhere near that level of caliber of a player. Uh, he's still going to be like a you know first second round pick in the NFL draft. But I mean, I don't think he would have moved the needle as opposed to if Miles Gaskin said, you know what, I'm done. See so you guys. I, I've been hurt. I've been hurt yeah. towards the end of the season, so we're not going to do this anymore. Honestly, I, though, I, well, I mean, I feel like how Taylor Rapp handled the situation is just an example for how every player should handle like there's no you don't need to disclose any injuries you can disclose or you can disclose any injury you want to so like you can just say you're hurt like and and not have to deal with saying you know what guys like I understand but I want to just focus on the draft and, and and not worry about the bowl game like even if that's if that's what you want to do you can do exactly what Taylor Rapp did. No one's going to ask a question. No one's going to look further into it, and you're fine. And by the like, way, it's dumb to play hurt, regardless of like, oh, I yeah. could have gone, or yeah. it's it's just it's just not like you, the human body's not meant to play freaking <laughs> against Ohio State uh, with yeah. the with a with a chronic injury. That's just yeah. stupid. Yeah, but and, you can't but I'm expect saying, them like, to even, do that. Even if you're just you know, it's ah, it's just a little sore or something. Yeah. You don't, and and you're don't force and you somebody wanna, to play football. Like, you want to you want to focus on the NFL draft. Like you can do exactly what Taylor Rapp did. Not put the attention on you. Just kind of stay in the shadows. And then once it's all over, say you know what? I'm just gonna go. I'm foregoing my senior season, going to the draft, and it's all over and it's done. And there's no drama around you. You don't have to say I'm you know not playing the bowl game to prepare for the draft. Like you don't have to bring all that unnecessary drama to you. So Byron Murphy is another player that's going to uh has I mean he has a high draft stock right now. Yeah. He's he's going he's going he could be a first round pick. But what's the reason like what's stopping him given his talent uh not being like a top 15 pick or like a top like number 1 corner in his class? I mean what's what's a couple weaknesses in his game that NFL scouts are uh, kind of a little bit afraid of right now? I think the one thing that it's really going to come down to is his size being 5'10", 180-ish pounds. He's 5'11", isn't he? Or he might be 5'11". I don't know. I mean, he... he I've always saw him as a strong 5'11". He's just a little skinny. He's a little on the skinny yeah. side so, right now. But that, that's what it's going to come down to at the end of the day for him. Uh, I think people will be concerned about his ability to, I don't know, like match up with the Julio Joneses or AJ Greens or even like 
mm-hmm. Alan Hearns, Michael Gallup, like people that 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 kind of stature in the NFL because those are mo- like those are more common once you get to the NFL. And uh, I think it'll also come down to, even though he's kind of made a name for it at UW, his ability to be a consistent tackler at the next level and that sort of thing. There will be absolutely, though, no doubt about his ability to play coverage. I think he's the stickiest corner in this draft. You, you've seen Pro Football Focus tweet out their coverage metrics on him. And then stats like that in something like 19 allowed receptions, he's given up 33 yards or something ridiculous after the catch. Like, he's all over receivers all the time. I think the biggest concern will just be, like, once he gets to the NFL, are they going to be picking on him uh, kind of on, like, back shoulder or fade kind of routes or if they throw screens or run towards his side. What is his NFL comparison? Because, I mean, you look at the top corners like Shoot. coming out of this SEC. Yeah. I mean, they're all, like, 6'1", 200-plus pounds. Like, they're freaking – like, because you want to play that press coverage. You know, you want to – if you're playing that cover, too, you got to be able to come up and make uh, stops. You know, Saquon Barkley's coming at you. you got to be able to stop those, you know, those, uh, those uh, fly sweeps or, you know, those outside pitches. I mean, Byron Murphy, like, I just can't think of somebody that plays outside corner – I mean, Brent Grimes, like, when his prime, like, it, it's really hard to kind of pick yeah. a guy are, that, that's going mean, to yeah. simulate his playing style. I agree, too. There's not, like, a ton of names where, like, you know, shorter guys are coming to it's mind. It's not even shorter. It's the, but also, it's the 180 pounds. Like, you just don't yeah. see that at the, at the NFL level, ever. Well, it's, it's, I, I mean, re- know, as a, I, especially this last couple of years. I, 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 I don't think so. I think you'll find you'll find some of them. But, and, and you know, they'll probably, they'll probably bulk him up a little bit. But I also think... <clears throat> He's kind of fortunate in the sense that he's not coming out like in he's not uh, a part of like the 2014 draft class, or the 2015 draft class, because those years it really felt like after what the Seahawks had done and like the whole LOB, like if you weren't six three, yeah. 210 pounds, like you couldn't play cornerback like you weren't going to get drafted. Like <laughs> <was> everyone that, <laughs> that was coming out had to be this huge cornerback. And I, I feel like there was some buffering years to realize like okay, what the Seahawks did was cool, and, and they did really well, but you don't necessarily have to be enormous to play the cornerback position. Like, it is okay to be 5'11 and play cornerback, and, and cornerbacks have been successful in the past. They will be, they will continue to be yeah. successful in the future at a smaller size. Like, it's okay. So I, I don't think it's going to affect his draft stock, like, a ton. Granted, if he was that 6'1", 200 pounds, oh, like he'd probably he'd be a top 10 pick. But, oh yeah, you know, I, I still think he's going to do just fine yeah. in the draft. Well, and the other thing that, that's nice about today's NFL is it's not unreasonable to take a guy in the first round and envision him playing nickel or something like that. Yeah. You know, no, you, you think of a guy like LaMarcus Joyner with the Rams, who I think has made his way back to safety. Yeah. But he was drafted in the second round at 5'8", 184 pounds, mm-hmm. and was starting at nickel for years and was great, you know? So yeah. I think that, that, that uh, Byron Murphy, similarly, is a guy that you can put kind of across Wait, the well, Are you saying that he's low ceiling then? Like, he, he, like no. if he, his best case scenario is that he's an above average back, uh, sorry, above average uh, number two corner? No, not, not not necessarily, but I'm saying in the short run, while he has kind of some things to iron out, or if they're trying to figure out, like, can he compete outside with big guys, and uh, is he a reliable tackler in the run game, or, or like if there are screens out to his side, while you're figuring all of that out, on Sundays, you can cover, or you can stick him in the slot 
over some really talented receivers, kind of like, I don't know, Doug Baldwin is a guy who comes to mind who lines up in the slot a lot, and then allow him to cut his teeth there. So in, in the short run, while over the course of several years he bulks up, gets more consistent in the way that he's able to, I don't know, compete in the run game, set the edge, make plays in the backfield on screens. Uh, in practice, he can kind of get, I don't know, it depends on where he ends up, but get his reps against big receivers and prove that he's able to, if a ball is thrown his way high when he's guarding a 6'4 receiver, that he can get up there and break a pass up or box a receiver out and that sort of stuff. Not being a top 15 pick might actually be better in the long run for a Byron Murphy. So we can, yeah, like you said, second round picks yeah, or late right first fit. round picks, yeah. they're not gonna, they're not gonna put you on a, you know, on a pedestal and expect you to be the franchise number one mm-hmm. corner for years to come. If you, like, he would be if he was in the top 15. Yeah. So coming up on Tuesday, January 15th, Oof. we have the second annual Washington Ooh, football. Oh, do we forget exciting. something? No, 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 oh, okay. no, no, no. I'm just excited for yeah. it. Yeah, the, the, the Washington football crunchies, the wackiest award show in Washington oh, yeah. football. Uh, last year's categories included most disappointing player, biggest meltdown of a team, best social media presence, best NFL rookie performance, uh, that's you know something that alumni of Washington that's breaking out. I think Cooper Cup won that award last year. Uh, so. The biggest villain. Uh, there's a lot of you know people that could fit that this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I have. I, I think we have a strong candidate for that. Yeah. And the end all be all Washington's MVP. Now that's coming up to you. That's coming at you next week. Follow us on Twitter for our latest updates at Micah underscore Chen at Luke Monger and at Jackson M Garner. We are signing off. Thank you guys for listening.